Amen. You guys can grab a seat and get a copy of God's Word in your hands and uh, get that uh, Bible turned to uh, Acts chapter 15. Um, really three things uh, we're going to see in our time together this morning. Um, we're going to look at God's Word and, and get a picture of the Gospel, and we are going to see a testimony of God at work in and through the Gospel. And then we got a special announcement at the end. Um, so, so let me just frame up before we jump into this passage. Uh, one of the things that, um, that you're constantly working for and battling for uh, in this world and in the church is unity. Because we all know every person comes to the church with lots of differences. God's created us differently. Uh, everyone has a different background. You have a different set of parents and different jobs and different experiences. And there's just lots of difference. And in the world, in the culture of the world, uh, they're, they're, they're attempting this social experiment that keeps failing, but they keep trying it in different forms. What they're trying to do is they're trying to establish unity around accepting everyone's differences. See, see that's the, what they highlight, that's what they chase after. And so the highest ideal of that unity is to love. It's love, and which for the world, what, what that word means, love, is it means acceptance in whatever I want to do. And so there's no moral standard. There's no consistent identity. It's just be whatever you want to be, and I'm going to be over here just cheering you on. That's the, the world's articulation of love, and that's the center of their unity. And the reason why they care about it so much, and the reason why they proclaim it at every point and have made it a, a mantra of obedience that you must be faithful to or the world turns against you, the reason why they are so zealous at that is because it is so fragile. It's not working, and it's, it's failing miserably, and I see the casualties of it all the time. They cheer for unity while there's nothing filling them inside. Because living for self, fundamentally what that is, is a really sort of pathetic, depressing way to live. It never satisfies, it, it never succeeds in fulfilling our desire for more in the way that God's created us. And so apart from a force outside of ourselves, we always default to self, don't we? Like apart from something drawing us out of self, out of self-esteem and self-protection and self-promotion and selfishness, we always move back to this dark, broken center. I mean, it's, it's commonplace. I, I move that way apart from uh, giving myself to a force outside of me. That is why there must be a, a, a more powerful center, bigger than self, redefining self so that we might come out of and then find unity around something that holds so much more secure than the pursuit of self. And we're going to see this unity outlined right here in Acts chapter 15. Follow along with me. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You know, uh-oh, right here, immediately, something just got added to the center. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. 
When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up, and they said, here it is again, it is necessary to circumcise them and, in, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Again, something else is being added to the center. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now what's happening here that I want you to see is the orientation of authority has shifted. It used to be completely in and under the law of Moses, and now it's saying that the apostles and elders, called by God, many of them wrote the entire New Testament, the authority now lies with them. They're gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. That's a unity statement. Having cleansed their heart by faith, that's what unifies them. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? They're like, don't we know that this, all of this law that we were trying to live up to, we couldn't even do it? Why are we continuing to put the yoke of that on, on them? And then here it is, verse 11. The centerpiece of the New Testament church, the centerpiece of our faith but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will, in unity. And all the assembly fell silent. You know you've got consensus when everyone falls silent. They go, okay, we're good. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. This is Old Testament prophecy. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. We'll come back to that later, I promise. It's confusing. 21, from, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. And then in this letter, they just summarize what already, we've already walked through. So jump down with me to verse 30. So they share this thing. They're like, hey, um, it's, it's by faith, but then there's these things that we, don't want you to, we want you to abstain from. We'll get to those in a second. Verse 30, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Because it, it, it simplified it. It brought unity around the essentials of the faith. And now the relationships were able to happen because of this. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. 
But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And so in this passage, what I want you to see that is central, that's being defined here, this, this, this chapter forms the centerpiece of Acts, and so many of the things we've already studied are going to be confirmed, and then there's going to be a reality of this being walked out the rest of our uh, series in Acts. Here's the big idea. Establish unity around the gospel of grace. Establish unity around the gospel of grace. Two critical components that we see right from this passage that if we want to establish unity around the gospel of grace, what does it look like? First, you've got to keep the gospel of grace at the center. You've got to keep it at the center. Some of the, what was happening in this passage that we already saw in verses one and five when they're like, um, you're gonna have to be, if you wanna be saved, you're gonna have to be circumcised and we're gonna force you to follow the law of Moses. And these, these, these Jewish Christians that were playing out in and amongst the community, they're referred to as Judaizers. And so what they were doing was, is they were infiltrating into the church, saying that there had to be something else for people to be saved, and it was obedience to these, 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 these Jewish realities and confirmation that you see in the Old Testament. And, and, and we, don't, we don't just see here uh, this coming up and being addressed but here I'm going to help you. When you read the book of Galatians, understand that the, the letter to the Galatians in the backdrop of Galatians is Judaizers running all throughout the church of Galatia. And that's why you see in, in, in Galatians this like the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. The gospel of grace. And so what was happening is, is they were like Jesus and circumcision and law of Moses. And then verse 11 but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And so church, underline that line. Highlight it. Write it on your heart. That is the central unity of the New Testament church and it is the central unity that we want to circle around in this church if this church can be called, can continue to be called Christ Church, that gospel of grace must remain at the center. And if you're like, what, what components of that? What are some key aspects of that? Because the gospel of grace is like, a, is like a beautiful diamond and it's got these really beautiful facets to it that reflect this grace to us and to the world. And so um, these are right from our website. This is just our, a little bit of our doctrinal statement, but these things are things that you see as facets of the glory of the gospel of grace that needs to remain at the center. Let me just walk through them quickly. A God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God created us, and because he is our creator, because he is holy and set apart like we already sang about, he is worthy of all of our worship. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Perfect offering to, to die on the cross, to, to satisfy the wrath of God so that we might then, through his death, find our forgiveness for all the sins that, 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 that condemn us before God. And, and that, that Jesus didn't just die, he resurrected and then he ascended to heaven and he continues to rule. 
Jesus, the Bible, inerrant in its original writings, breathed out by God, final authority for all of life. It reveals and leads us to the person of God. This Bible is a gracious gift to us. And then man, created by God, we, we've been created in the image of God. Male and female were, were born spiritually dead, though, with a sinful nature that rebels against God, that needs restoration and redemption. And we live under the condemnation for sin apart from a sacrifice, apart from a savior. Salvation. Salvation that, as it says so clearly here in Acts 15, is received by faith, by grace in Christ alone. It's not achieved by any good works. No man has ever earned it. There's only one person that has performed what has been necessary so that we might come underneath it, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation, it guarantees new life in this life and eternal life. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he comes to, 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 to live in everyone who has been saved. He empowers disciples to uh, progressively be transformed into the likeness of God, and, and, and he gives gifts also to serve others, the Holy Spirit, the church, uh, a gracious gift, a calling of God, that now all of those people saved could come together and, and be God's community and be a set-apart people and then invite other people into that goodness of the kingdom of God through faith in Christ alone. The ordinances, these are, these are ways that we reflect the gospel and, and shine the gospel to the world and remind ourselves of it. In our church, it's baptism and communion that Baptism is our public pro uh, proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ and a reflection, a declaration of grace. And then communion is what we do regularly in the church to remember that it's by grace we've been saved, that it's through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then things to come. Our great hope at God's appointed time, Christ will return to establish his kingdom, our uh, resurrected bodies living with God forever. That's the gospel of grace. And it sits at the center. Our unity is around that gospel of grace. There's grace just dripping from these nine principles. They've been given to us by God to both uh, consume the reality of grace and then live in that grace continually. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. And to God be the glory for this. This is what we trust. This is what needs to define our identity. And if we hold it at the center, if we keep it at the center, it will. It's the thing we trust. It becomes our identity. And in humility, knowing that we can't maintain unity in ourself, we cling to this and we access it in humility. And this center, church, is way better than anything that the world can offer you. I promise you. Again and again, I hear the testimonies of lives torn apart by unsteady foundations. And we understand sand in this area and all other is sinking sand. All other sinking sand. Keep the gospel of grace at the center. Establish unity around the gospel of grace. Then the second one. Keep turning away from the worship of other gods. So those four things are pretty important um, that they talk about there um, when it says... So it's like, hey, 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 gospel of grace at the center. That's it. Don't add anything else to it. And then they're like, but 
abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. And if you're like me, I was kind of excited to study this passage because I was like, what in the world is, are they talking about there? What is that referring to? And I got to admit that there's some things in Scripture that are very foreign to our time right now. So let me get us all on the same page and bring us to a place of understanding. Let me just teach us for a second. So here's what was playing out. Those four things are, are referring to what happened around pagan worship, around idolatry in these pagan temples. So if you, go to, if you go to Corinth, I've been to Corinth, if you, go to, if you go to Corinth, you can still see these temples that were set up on a hill, and these temples, that, that was, they were, those weren't synagogues, okay? Don't confuse those with synagogues. These pagan temples, they were worshiping all of the pantheon of pagan gods, and they would go up there, and they would sacrifice food to these idols to try to appease their wrath. Sexual immorality was rampant. If, I mean, it, I'm not even going to describe it because it would make you go, Ugh. To, to, like, to like get a picture of what was happening out in open in these pagan temples. It's referring to idolatry here. What it's saying here is it's saying, and Paul addresses this, if you read now Corinth, if you read 1 and 2 Corinthians knowing this, you'll see it throughout the, the, both of those books, the reference to this. And so, so what, what, what Paul's addressing here and what Acts serves the church in is it's saying, one you need to believe and keep at the center the gospel of grace, but then you also, we are committed as a community. There's unity around. We are not allowing the worship of other gods to enter in because it's gonna try. And so what you see begin to play out here is that what, what they're doing is they're saying, yeah, there's an aspect of, of the Old Testament that absolutely carries over to the new, and that is the first commandment. We worship one God only. And you can understand in this culture how dramatic it would have been to say there's one God that you worship. And so they're, they're breaking this down and they're communicating this to the church and now they're like, yes, of course. And now there's unity uh, amongst the, the, the Christians together. There's one God at the center. God is revealed in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then there is a commitment to the gospel of grace. And this is an unbelievably helpful principle even for today. Because you might, we might look around and we don't see people constructing temples, pagan temples anymore. But I promise you that the human heart, if you're to rightly and deeply reflect on it, we've talked about this in our church again and again. We are idol factories. Our heart produces idols all the time. Um, one of the, the books that has walked through it most carefully that I'm so thankful for, Brad Bigney's book titled Gospel Treason. Here's what he writes about idolatry to give you a picture of how it still is a reality for us today. Look at this. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. And then he says, so what could be an idol in your life? Anything. Ugh. That is why we're in such trouble, because absolutely anything can become an idol. And so, church, what I want you to see is what was established here in Acts 15 is really the breath of a follower of Christ. It is belief in the gospel of grace, and then it is a refusal to worship any other gods. 
and there is repentance that's required um, to turn away from the influence of any other gods. And I promise you, I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in other people's lives. Um, your marriage can become an idol, your children can become an idol, your favorite hobby can become an idol, your job, your objects, your money, your fame, your pain, your, oh, again and again, I could just roll out the way that we have these things in our life and we elevate them and when they rise above God, they're now idolatry. And what's happening in Acts 15 is they're declaring that at the center of our unity is I breathe in the gospel of grace and I breathe out idolatry. It is believe and repent. It is believe in Jesus Christ and repent. You, you see this again and again. That's why at the very beginning of communicating the gospel to lost people, what is it? It's, it's repent and believe because they're so consumed with their idols, they need to turn from their idols and then grab hold of the gospel of grace. But to those of us who have grabbed hold of the gospel of grace, we hold it at the center, and then we look to all the influence of other gods, and we're like, not going there. And when I go there, I'm turning back and grabbing hold of the center again, the gospel of grace. And this is it, to, to just distill all of this down for us, I, I love when there's just simplicity seen in Scripture. And this is a key moment for us as we walk through the book of Acts. The essential element of a testimony of faith in Jesus Christ is the continual breathing in of the gospel of grace and the breathing out of idolatry. It is in with what satisfies our soul and it's out with what will kill us if we keep it in. And that in and out rhythm, if I was to walk up and down the rows and talk about the testimonies of the people in this church, the ones who have authentically put their faith in Christ alone by grace alone, that is the rhythm or the cadence of the believer. In with the gospel of grace, out with idolatry. And this testimony is beautiful. And this testimony of the gospel of grace can influence and transform any person's life. And so we've come to this place where we've seen this again and again, this gospel of grace in recent weeks. And so what I love to see uh, in our church and throughout my ministry is uh, testimonies of God transforming people's lives, getting their lives centered around the gospel of grace, and then them grabbing hold of it and breathing that in and breathing out idolatry. And this morning, we just have a phenomenal testimony uh, for you to see. Turn your attention to the screens. My name is Dan. It's awesome um, just to see the the grace of God all over that testimony. And uh, as many of you know, that's, uh, that's a story that has um, a, a very personal uh, part for me. Um, it's been so uh, awesome to have the opportunity in ways that I never would have expected, never had as a goal or an aim. I honestly went exactly like the video said when I started visiting, I was like, there's this girl in our church. It's kind of like the big brother, right? The overprotective big brother. I was like, I gotta check this guy out. And I think um, pretty much the second time I, I went, I was like, Sarah, you don't need to come. I'm just gonna hang out with Dylan. <laughs> and uh, um, over the last a few years, Dylan's become a personal friend to me. 
Um, and uh, if you could read the emails that even went back and forth, I very quickly started sharing not just my life, but um, my ministry with him. And uh, there's, there's emails back and forth where he's giving me feedback on some of the things that I was sharing with him going on in our church. And uh, at multiple levels has been a friend and so thankful to be able to share him now with um, our church and with my family. And uh, it's just God's grace, church. It's just God's grace. That is it. It's on display right there. And uh, that's the thing that we're wanting to protect. That's the thing we got to keep at the center. That's the thing that in the breathing in of the gospel of grace, we all can be transformed in the same way that God transformed Dylan. What it showcases is it showcases that there is no one that God cannot reach and there is no hurt or pain in any of your lives that God cannot restore. He can bring back all of the years that the locusts have eaten, the prophet says. And, and so I just want to encourage us just to rest in that gospel of grace. And let me just pray for us, and then I got an announcement for us. God, thank you for um, your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us a picture so clear of your grace. Thank you for continuing to do the very things that we have seen and watched and seen testified to in your word, watching the disciples, the apostles work through the ancient world, spreading the gospel, establishing churches, seeing people come to faith out of, out of rampant selfishness and sin and Certainly, Father, feeling the same ramifications of that sin like so many of us have and all of us have and, and even to the levels that are displayed in this testimony of Dylan, we, we, we know, God, that you rescue out of that and, and you're not intimidated by any of that because you are powerful over all of it and your gospel sings beautiful notes into a world that often leads us to a place of brokenness and pain and so I just thank you for the clarity of the proclamation this morning. Would it cause us to be centered around the gospel of grace and to repent and keep turning away from the worship of other gods? God, get our church to a place where we are centered on that and committed to that. Let all of us align around that. Let us not find our unity because we live in the same place. Let us not find our unity on, on secondary issues. Let us not find our unity because we're, we have relationships with one another, God. Let those things be the fruit of our alignment, but at the center, keep the gospel of grace because that is what what saves, and so I just pray that that would be a, a blazing center that we would celebrate, that would stir us up and lead us forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, um, I'm excited um, now to give you guys a little bit of kind of um, what's been happening in our church um, over the past few months is, uh, as many of you know, as we've talked about openly again and again, uh, there's been an open position in our church, and uh, um, we have walked through a careful process in that. Um, over the last six years as a church, we've learned a lot about hiring and, and the process and some of the pieces that we didn't see as clearly before, and we're just learning. And, uh, and in this process, um, those of you who know, know that we've walked through actually two different process of receiving resumes and talking with applicants, and, and, and we went round one, and God just kept closing doors that we thought he was opening, and then round two and continuing uh, doors open and then kind of checking this out and then doors closing and we, we just started to look internally at our church and one of the things that was happening in our leadership team both our staff and our elders is we were saying you know there's people in our church who are really passionate about considering vocational ministry and we were we were we had started to uh, process through like we had had internships with people in the past 
and, but we started to think it would be really great for us to have sort of a ministry residency program where people who either part-time or full-time could come on our staff, be trained for ministry. And so we started processing through that. I started um, hearing from other churches in GCC that were doing that. And really for the purpose of going, hey, some people could be, God could be calling some people in our church to full-time vocational ministry and let's affirm that and let's evaluate that and train that up. And then if we have an open position, bring them on staff at our church or even bigger kingdom-minded than that, maybe we don't have a position and we go, hey, there's another church in GCC or even beyond that that person could land in and be a blessing to. And so we were processing through this and putting this all together and then we started having a conversation with Dylan. And, um, and now you can probably see where this is going. And uh, everyone started to affirm this. We just didn't see it in the beginning. There was so much newness to the process of, of him getting out and he was uh, you know, walking through the process of then marrying uh, Sarah and, and, and then, but this conversation kept going and um, we, we started to get to know, more people started to get to know Dylan. Dylan landed in Justin Ware, one of our elders' small groups and not only Justin and his wife Julie but so many others in their group were affirming uh, the character, the giftedness, the strengths and weaknesses that Dylan brought and um, he met with our, our pastors and directors individually, and, uh, and so many of them would text me after hanging out with Dylan and Sarah, um, a yes, yes. And, and there was this affirmation that was starting to build around this. We interviewed him uh, carefully, our elders, and we were just blown away. And it became so clear to us, both objectively and subjectively, that Dylan was a clear um, answer for what we felt our, our, our staff team needed, what our church needed in the area of adult discipleship. And so uh, we extended an offer to Dylan to um, be a part of sort of the first sort of one year full-time uh, ministry residency at our church focused on adult discipleship. And, and I want you to understand we extended that to him and we told him with every intention we want this to continue. But we want to create an opportunity for both you to grow into this and us to grow around you and walk through that carefully and, uh, and lovingly. And we both uh, really um, felt like that was the best move for us together. And so, so this, this role fills the open position in our church. And we're so excited um, because um, Dylan accepted our offer and we're excited to add him to our staff team. And so um, we're so thankful to a, um, there is a, a man in our church who had uh, uh, brought Dylan on to work, and, uh, and so Dylan's finishing up some commitments to that, and he'll be uh, uh, in our office getting after it with us um, on July 6th. And so, listen church, um, it is grace upon grace, not only to have the opportunity to see God at work, but now to watch um, that, those stories, Dylan's story, woven together, not just continuing that within my life and the life of the lives of our staff team, but now to watch that play out in our church is just a, a great joy. And I am so excited to share both his life and his ministry and his commitment to God's word and the gospel with our church. And I believe it's going to bear fruit. It's gonna 
Uh, I, we're excited to confirm and continue to see what God is doing in and through his life. So thankful for Sarah and, uh, and her ministry in our church and this whole process and this whole evaluation made so much easier by the affirmations around her and how many people just love her and we love her and we're uh, so excited for this couple and the way God's gonna continue to use them. This is an awesome provision from God and a work of God's grace. And we should be thanking God for that and celebrating God. He deserves all the glory. And so I'd just like to invite um, Dylan and Sarah up on the stage. I'd love to pray for them. And I know you guys will join me in that, but let's just thank God again for what he's up doing. It's so fun for those of you that don't know that video. I mean, it was right up here. I was uh, officiating their wedding, and so um, awesome to have you guys up here again with me and uh, love the opportunity to have our stories woven together in this way and excited for the way uh, God's gonna use both of you um, in and through our church and uh, your passion for the gospel, your heart for the lost, your love for meeting people right in the midst of their need and discipling them and getting their lives and identity under the gospel of grace has been a blessing to me and I'm excited for the way it's gonna, it's gonna impact our church and even beyond uh, into our world, into our area. So if you guys just join me, let's pray together. God, there is a sweetness to the gospel of grace. And I pray this morning that we would just savor that. Father, we know that you have both defined, you have written this moment into our church and into our lives. And we thank you for it. And we thank you for your providence. Father, so perfectly written, I thank you for that. I thank you for the I thank you for the moment of, of wanting to evaluate where Dylan was and check him out in my love for Sarah. And I thank you for the friendship that was born in that. I thank you for the, the competency that you had borne on his soul through the work of your spirit, through the work of your word. Father, it was so easy to see it because it had saturated his life and continues to. And I pray, God, that he would continue to walk in that grace, that he continue to find his heart firm in the identity that you've called him to. And I am so thankful for the godliness and the humility and the love that Sarah has shown Dylan. I am thankful for the way she has placed herself right alongside him with great strength and dignity and humility and love. And I'm thankful, God, that we have the opportunity to walk alongside them to both benefit from their relationship on our team and, and to our church and, and to the world, the waiting world outside, God, that is so broken and needing the gospel. And so I just pray as we commit them to you, God, we ask that this season leading into ministry and in these beginning first months that they would find themselves uh, both able to stand up underneath the war that is ministry and at the same time experience like I have and, and our staff has the blessing of this people, this church, and the wonderful way you're uniting our hearts around the gospel of grace. And I pray they'd find joy there and a great zeal to continue. And so, God, thank you for ordaining this. Thank you for being a part of every aspect of this. And we just celebrate you, and we give you glory for this. Continue to lead us, not for our names, but for the name of Jesus Christ alone. And so we ask that you'd be glorified and honored. We commit this couple to you and to the work that you have for them in this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.